Hey, Dirtbags. Thanks so much for tuning in to A Dirtbags Guide to Life on the Road. This week, we got a great episode for you. I sit down with my friend Devin Burnham, and we have a really cool conversation. It was the first time I'd seen Devin in a little over a year, and he's just one of my favorite people in New York City. He's an actor, he's a writer, theater director, film director, uh, just a very interesting mind, a great thinker, and very glad that I got to sit down with him and have a conversation with him. Uh, We talk about what it means to be a lifer in art and, and how we like to surround ourselves with people like that because... Uh, sometimes it's just easier to just jump right in with someone who life is also in motion when yours is kind of just never-ending movement. And uh, we, we talk kind of in depth about that and, and about a number of things. And it's a really cool conversation. And I'm just stoked that we're recording it and that you all get to listen to it. That's the really beauty or really the beauty of podcasting, in my opinion, is just being able to be a fly on the wall during conversations between interesting people. And not that I'm trying to toot my own horn and call myself interesting, but, you know, Devin and I make an interesting group if we aren't in individually. Well, Devin's just very interesting. I don't know about me. Sometimes I feel really boring, but maybe that's just uh, that's just how we all feel about our lives. And we should think that actually other people think differently about us than we think about ourselves. So can't wait for you all to hear that conversation with Devin. But first, a little word from our sponsors. As usual, this week's sponsor is my Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a sort of subscription service where you get to support a work of art or an artist that you think is important and deserves your financial backing. So you can sign up for anywhere from three to a hundred dollars a month and in return you get early access to content or videos or music from me recordings that don't really see the light of day to the rest of the world but you get to listen to those and have access to those you get little writings that I'll, I'll put up there just kind of like what's going on in my life and and what kind of challenges i'm facing or exciting things that have gone on you get kind of a behind the scenes look at what it's like to be me and also you directly support me in a way that makes all of this possible i don't know if you're aware of this but apparently it's really hard to make money playing music and these days it's even harder because Spotify and all of the things the streaming services don't really pay a whole lot we can argue all day long about the value of of exposure and things like that through these streaming services that's not what I'm trying to do the reality is is it's really difficult to make a living as an artist no matter what you're trying to pursue And Patreon is a way that you can support artists that you believe in or art that you believe in. And it makes a huge difference in my life and in Banjo's life and just in my ability to keep making the podcast, making the YouTube videos, creating music, going on tour, doing all of the things. If you like seeing me on tour every once in a while, become a patron. It makes it more possible for me to do that. And in exchange for that support, you get things in return. For example, if you sign up for the $10 tier or higher, you get a shout out on this podcast, which is why I want to say what's up to my friend Echo. She's a beautiful person. I've known her for a very long time, and she's a supporter of mine on Patreon. She's a brilliant person, studies the classics, 
ancient Greece, ancient Rome, all of those things. She's brilliant. And what I love most about Echo is when I talk to her, is she takes all this vast knowledge about history and ties it into very relevant things going on right now, or very relevant things to how she approaches her life and makes it better for herself and those around her. It's pretty interesting. She's, she's amazing. I'm, I'm a big fan of Echoes, and I'm very thankful for the support she shows me on Patreon. If you don't have a whole lot of money right now and you can't support directly on Patreon, but you still want to help me out, there's great news. Lots of things you can do to help me out that don't cost you a thing at all. You can listen to my music on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, all of the things. Charles Ellsworth, look it up, give it a listen, add your favorite tracks to your own playlist that you listen to regularly. That helps me a ton. Make sure you're following me and you like and download the tracks. You can go to my YouTube channel, YouTube forward slash Charles Ellsworth, and subscribe, watch some of those videos, share them with your friends, all of that stuff makes a big difference for me last but not least just like and subscribe to the podcast you're listening to right now you know a dirtbag's guide to life on the road whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on right now just make sure you're subscribed and if you haven't yet leave us a review it helps other people find the podcast and makes a big difference i don't want to bother you too much more but i do want to say that my record label burrow baracha records that i'm a partner in just put out our first record on vinyl of an artist that isn't me I still find a way to fold Growing tired of this place Left outside in the cold Three years before the mast Bob Fleming and the Cambria Iron Company came to us with their record Remnants about a year ago saying like, hey, we've recorded this record, we would like your help putting out the vinyl what do you think and we gave it a listen and mark and i were just like damn this record is really good really passionate raw and i think relevant to a lot of things that are going on right now i love the working man's bend to the writing in Bob's songs, and I really wanted to do what we could to help them get it out there. So if you could, whatever you listen to music on, check out Bob Fleming and the Cambria Iron Company's new record, Remnants. And if you dig it, make sure you order a vinyl from them because it helps them make more music and it helps Burrow Baracha put out more music from more artists and help them pursue their goals and their passions. And it's all about pursuing what makes you happy because nobody else is gonna make you happy. So what are you waiting for? Go do that fucking thing that you're afraid of and that you know is gonna make a big difference. I promise you that you'll look back and be like, I'm really glad I took Chuck's advice. I'm really glad I did that thing. So go do it. But first, listen to this conversation with my friend Devin. Thanks so much for tuning in. All the pills, they seem to vanish What I didn't eat, I gave away My mama, she's been crying She thinks that I am lost That her only son is dying Dusty
<laughs> okay. Um, I haven't I haven't recorded an episode of this podcast in in a few months actually, and it's been on hiatus since March. So I've got like two or three episodes just kind of that I've already recorded, but I'm trying to compile a bunch so I can just make a run at it. But uh, so I don't even remember if I do an intro. Um, All right. But, well, there's an intro that we'll have already played. But I just want to say thanks for joining me on my podcast. Welcome to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is my friend Devin Burnham. First of all, I just have to say I'm super, super excited to be here and really psyched to be sitting here just, um, like, just hanging out. And I love this aspect of, I think this is, like, such a cool aspect of, like, creative life is mm-hmm. this thing and sometimes i think we don't like we collectively don't do enough of it it's just to like sit down and be like what are you all about all these things that you do they have value totally. you know and yeah. and let's just talk about the value that's like inherent in like you i like how you call it lifer like yeah because that's exactly um that's exactly those are my people you know, just the, the ones who, like, don't have a plan B, don't have an exit strategy, yeah. and don't really have, like, a criteria for, like, if this doesn't, if X doesn't happen, then I'd go over here. If X doesn't here. happen by this time, or if blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, my, my friend Bob Hogue, who I will have on the podcast someday, and who produced my record, Cesarea, he, he introduced me to the term lifer when I was making a record with him with my old band Alaska and me in like 2008 mm-hmm. and uh, peak MySpace days is like, you know, peak, like essentially Bob used to be like, what I hate more than anything is um, being asked to produce a record for a band who it's obvious, like they're given this one shot. And if it doesn't work out, they're all going to go become lawyers or whatever, yeah. you know, just a bunch of kids that like, Oh, they have mom and dad's money and they're going to make a record and give it one shot to be rock stars. Right. And then, but they're like, He's like, I'm a lifer. Like, I'm going to be driving around in fucking shitty vans with smelly dudes for the rest of my life playing music because that's, like, what I do and what I want to do. Right. Um, And I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but, like, that's where I first heard the term lifer. And at the time, I was kind of, like, on hiatus from college playing with this band, giving it a shot, not really with mommy and daddy's money, but, like... Like I didn't know at that point I was a lifer. I was kind of like, oh shit, does Bob does Bob like me? <laughs> right. You know. But then it's just funny to look back on that. That was you know thirteen, almost fifteen years ago, and now I'm like, oh, somewhere along the way, I'm a I'm a musician. That's just what I'm doing, or I'm an artist. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, sorry to just completely take track of that. No, I mean um, everything you're saying sounds. I remember the first time I heard somebody talk about they're acting with a um, five-year plan. And I, I was, I think I, I think I was still in high school and this was like somebody who had graduated like, you know, three or four years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had like crossed paths, we knew each other, but like somebody who was just a little bit farther down the road. So like, uh-huh. I think when I heard this person say it like I was in college and they had just graduated and uh, they were talking about like moving to L.A. and mm-hmm. giving it five years. And I remember the moment of hearing that because two things really stand out to me. One, I was just like the idea of having like being able to hold five years as like a quantity of time in your head 
yeah. at all because you're like 16 seemed at the time crazy yeah. to me. I was just like five years, like what? Um, that's like my friends who joined the military out of high school. Like, yeah, I was definitely that's the closest I've ever been to joining the military, and I've never been that close. But right. like, you know, you're and you're like, but four years, like, oh. yeah, and now you're like. Yeah, I've been in New York. I've known you for five. Years I know exactly. Now, right, which is like crazy. You right, know? and it also feels kind of like we just met. like we. I feel like we've known each other a long time, and also we just met. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, uh, well, that's kind of the New York City. Um, it's kind of off subject, but like just how friendships in this city go to where mm-hmm. you like. You, sometimes you don't see people for like six months, right? You know, because you're especially I've and you do this a lot too because you're in and out of the city working mm-hmm. on projects and you know you're in LA a few times a year and whatnot and and it's kind of like restarting your life I'm kind of going through this right now I just got back from tour and I'm like fuck like I've been here seven years but also like I've had to restart my life two or three times mm-hmm. a year every year besides 2020 you yeah. know and that was still restarting your life differently you right. know what I mean but it's cool to like like you're one of my best friends in in New York City, even if we don't see each other for, it's been over a year. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a minute, but it doesn't feel like it. And I think that, like, to that point, um, I really just find myself surrounding myself with the kind of people who I can go a year Mm -hmm. or two years or longer without seeing them. And I just, like, you open the door and I'm just like, what's up? And... There's not, there's not, there's not this um, like lag or this feeling of like having drifted apart or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just for whatever reason, you just kind of like yeah, just you pick right up. And it's not even so much that you like pick up where you left off. It's just like you kind of catch each other in stride. Mm-hmm. And those people, maybe I feel like they're, maybe they're more common than I think among the population, or maybe I'm just super lucky and I'm surrounded by them. And so I feel like there's a ton of people like that. Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, that's one of the few beautiful things about social media. Mm-hmm. Like, social media is a fucking train wreck. It's just a goddamn nightmare. But you can kind of jump right back into someone's life because you've kind of been following along. You've right. been skimming along. And, and, you know, you're getting the highlight reel. And it's and it's not... There's It's... Social media has way more problems than it does benefits, but I think that helps. Yeah. I, 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 and that's just like, I don't know if it would be different like 50 years ago, but also I think the life that you or I live or people like us is it forces the people that want to stick around to be good at just just being able to like pop back in. Right. You know what I mean? Because like that's yeah. just like how my life's been since I was 19 years old to some varying degree. And, and yeah, there's a lot of people that fell by the wayside that, you know, and they're like, it's not, not out of any sort of like animosity or not getting along or whatever. It's just like, Oh, you, you need the constant attention of like a friendship. Mm -hmm. That's like a daily, like it's a relationship. Whereas me, it's like, I mean, most of my relationships are with people that live like thousands of miles away from me. Right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you if if I pop into your head three times a year and you text me a meme, you know, uh-huh. like I feel like yeah. we're totally like I know what's up with you. And 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 lots of people like that. And um, and I, I do think that that's really beautiful. And I and I do think that social media is garbage. And I do think that there's a ton of great stuff about it, too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, well, two things can be true. So, at the same yeah, time. you can totally hold those two ideas yeah. simultaneously, for sure. Um, 
Sorry, were you going to say something else? Or? No, oh, the, just about the guy with the five-year plan. There was, oh, there was, yeah, this totally. was just a, just a, the, the button on that thing was just that, like, I remember thinking, holy shit, five years how that's impossible. Like I can't even map out like a full summer in my head. Like mm -hmm. June seems like overwhelming. But the other thing was I heard him say that and I had this like intuitive sense. I was like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like I, whatever, whatever you're up to and you might be super successful. And to be honest, the person I'm thinking about did do very well. Do pretty well. That's cool. And that's great. Awesome. Yeah. And I, but like, I remember just thinking you and I are on just different roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that, you know, it's interesting. It's like, you don't need to be a lifer to be incredibly successful. There's like, there, there's like some overlap. There's a Venn diagram. That's kind of like, totally got all the, got those different circles. But a lot of people who like could take it or leave it actually do quite well. And a lot of people who are just live and breathe the stuff, whatever, what would you call it? Like success is, I don't even like that word, but like they feel not recognized or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, or not adequately recognized, but they still, but the thing is like, once you go, this is what I do, I'm mm -hmm. a lifer, then the rest of it actually becomes irrelevant. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the lifer thing is that's so true of the, the well, like one, the, this is bullshit about the dude with the, 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 the saying 10 years or the person the saying that, or five years five in years, LA. Yeah. Um, the only benefit of the doubt I would give that person because I, and I don't really know them at all, but just like based on the story from the get go is that they took the leap of faith and they jumped all the mm -hmm. way in, you know? And like, that's, I think that's the only way you really see success unless it's handed to you. Right. You know, you have to make a full commitment. You have to go into the cave. You have to, right. You have to do it. But then for some of us, unfortunately, like, or fortunately, whatever you want to call it, tragically, if I'm going to go for it, it's going to be a lifetime. Of yeah. it. It's not going to be five years of it. And then I'm going to go, move to the suburbs or whatever. Like right. I may end up in the suburbs cause it just makes sense eventually. You know, I'm not talking shit on that, but like I got four roommates and I'm 34 years old. I never thought it would look like this, but I also love my life. Like, yeah. I'm very in like a way that I can say that after, after COVID, I know we're still in COVID, but like after the past couple of years, we've all had after Trump, <laughs> like in a way that I can honestly say, and having done some real work on myself is like, I absolutely love my life. Yeah. There's some little things about it that I would like change or it'd be, it'd sure be nice to be like not stressed about like where the next paycheck's going to come from or whatnot, but, right. or, you know, like it's, but it's also like, there's something I talked to my bass player a lot, Jared on this last tour. Um, Cause like so much, I would just be, it's so many moments. I'd just be like completely just like flustered and lost and in over my head because I, booked the most ambitious tour I've ever booked. I'm, you know, like I'm kind of tour dad because I booked the whole thing. They're just kind of along for the ride and like, yeah, they're helping and, and like really a great help, but like really like all of the knowledge of like what's happening is like in my head or in my computer. Like yeah. they, like there's only so much I could really get them prepared for. And, uh, at some point, so many times I would just be like, you know, if I were to put this kind of work into or effort into working for an ad agency in Manhattan, I'd be making over 150 K a year. Right. Like, like no questions asked. Right. Like I know so many people that are like really good at what they do, but like their job's not that hard and they make a lot of money. Yeah. And I'm, and my job is so like, I did five months of work booking this tour to go on a two month tour to come home with no money. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, and like, yeah, I paid my bills the whole time I was on tour. I grew my name or my brand or my reach, like whatever you want to call it. And, um, 
I was able to put away some money for savings for like the next record, but I'm being very, I'm very much trying not to touch that because mm. I'm like, I don't know where the next record's coming from, but I know it's like, I'm starting to write a lot of it. So sorry, that was a really long way of saying like, I don't think five year plan person is going to keep going after putting seven months of work into something that didn't pay him any money, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you made me think of something that, I had I had never really connected these two things in my head, but here's so after so since I since I was like that's bullshit. Now I will say the other side of it, which is like, and this is a thing that I have never had because from as early as I can remember, I was just like, this is what I do, and it's fine, and I'm going to be like as uncompromising as I can in what I do, and if I'm broke for the rest of my life and nobody ever knows who I am, so be it. Um, which I like is just. Um, one way of approaching things, you know, that is not, totally. that is not like, Oh, that's just the way that it seemed to go right from get. But what if, what if, you know, what if the idea of a five-year plan actually is like, has some benefit to it, which is like, if you don't get to this place by this time, then you have to stop doing this thing that you love. I'm not suggesting that anybody should oh, do that, yeah. but I had never really thought of like, holy shit. Like, cause I'm like, I approach like, should I get a better agent or like, should I, um, you know, go to this networking event for screenwriters or something like I approach it like maybe, yeah, maybe no, but mm -hmm. on, but like the, the, um, what do you call it? Like the, um, the underlying mentality is I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Totally. So whatever. Yeah. What if I was like, if you don't X, Y, Z by 2025, you have to stop acting and writing and directing. Like that was my yeah. sort of gun to my own head, and I, I just like never really well, thought about that. Like, someone, what, would I then be like, well, I, I go to every single networking thing because if I don't get to whatever this place is by twenty twenty five, I don't get to act and write anymore. Like, yeah. which basically, when that happens, that basically means, in my mind, like that's kind of my life is over at that point. No, I, I can so relate. it's I like know, it's, are it's you, so illogical, but I know exactly. But you know what I mean? mean? It's yeah. like I remember. I think it was like on uh, like Radio Lab or something. Like the Oliver Sacks was talking about like he couldn't get like his first novel done or something, and so he made a deal with himself that if he didn't finish the novel by like or a book by like X time, he was going to kill himself. Really? And I was just like, that's one. That's a, an that's interesting way to. Way to that's do an it. approach. Yeah, I I'll. <laughs> I'm very happy to be at a point in my life where I don't, I'm not making deals where uh, suicide's on the table anymore. Right. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very happy to not be at at that place in my life, and I hope I don't go back to it. But uh, but I have heard like like oh if you don't people being like you're gonna donate five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars like I'm an amount of money that will kind of fuck you over that would hurt right will hurt but not ruin you right. Um, to like a, a political campaign that you hate yeah, if you don't finish. Yeah. And like, or you write the check and give it to a friend who's holding you accountable and you don't Oof. finish this draft of this screenplay mm -hmm. by... See, and that's where I struggle. Um, and I, I really kind of want to go back to like like telling your story from early on, but just kind of because it's like in my brain right now, that's where I struggle with screenwriting or novel writing or film directing or anything like that is because... One so much of it, so much of it is out of my hands mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and two with music, it's a compulsion. Like 
if I have free time, my guitar's in my hand and yeah. I'm and I'm working on whatever songs in my head. Screenwriting hasn't been like that. I haven't written a hundred pages of screenplay since I graduated college with a screenwriting like emphasis. You Lord. know what I mean? Uh, so so I'm like, well, it's 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 one of those things that like I guess discipline is just something that like well, I don't know where I'm like. Well, if I'm gonna do this forever, I might as well do the thing that I'm gonna do forever, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you? I, I don't know if there's a question there at all. <laughs> or, I the thing that you the thing that you said about music being a compulsion really resonates with me, um, because I recognize, like, as somebody who plays, I like I play a little bit of music. I enjoy mm-hmm. playing music, but I don't do it compulsively. Mm-hmm. I do it like. I enjoy it and I love it and I do it maybe even daily. You know, I probably sit at the piano or sit down with like a ukulele, like, Mm -hmm. you know, daily, but it's, but I write plays compulsively, meaning like that's how I sort of frame the world in terms of plays, even more than screenplays. And I write Mm -hmm. a lot of, and I work on screenplays a Mm -hmm. lot, but like, I think my default way of thinking of things is about is 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 like a play life is a black box theater kind of or 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 this or this or this This restaurant is is a a theater is exactly yes no i i i can totally relate to that because when i was in film school and when i was writing a lot of narrative type stuff that was like my day-to-day interactions were what influenced what i wrote Mm -hmm. and i guess that's how it is with music in a lot of ways but like a lot of times with songs i'm kind of trying to like it's like what something a certain thing like tickles my fancy or whatever or like or like i come up with a line or or like there's a, there's there's a piece of nostalgia that kind of like that i'm trying to like uncover mm-hmm. and so i can kind of like put myself in that specific memory if it's former girlfriends or what lovers whatever you want to call it or like you know just or or what it felt like to be 16 and driving your car for the first time with your license mm-hmm. with your buddies or whatever and so so you try and you try and to like mine that nostalgia for a thing whereas when i was writing a lot of screenplays it was more of like my day-to-day life was informing what i would write in a way interesting um, oh right 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 interesting Oh, that's yeah that's an interesting dichotomy yeah i think that like even even like e- even sitting right here i think i'm kind of i think i think of it uh, like a play mm-hmm. um yeah so that would that's that that's the sort of compulsive aspect of it and it's like compu- compulsive maybe like default mm-hmm. like i like the way that maybe you reach for a guitar kind of just like as a reflex yeah like I got some free time, I'm gonna I'm gonna write. Yeah, and I want to put a pin in that. I want to take it back to like when did this start, or like what where where did you grow up? Where did you? Great, great question. As to, as to when it started, I am not exactly sure. And this actually really um, this is a thing that I think about in terms of like life, like this kind of idea of like a lifetime of art or whatever. Is that um, I think. Okay, so growing up, sort of moved around a lot, like mm-hmm. all up. And I, I think my bio says, and this is a, about as accurate as I can think of. Like my bio, like I think says, like I grew up uh, along the I ninety five corridor from like Wilmington, Delaware to Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, but like yeah. it just like my mom's family is the my mom has like deep New York roots and is from New York. Uh, grandfather worked at DuPont in Wilmington, Delaware, kind of a weird, um, 
I don't want to get into a bunch of family stuff, but just a lot. It felt like a lot of moving around and like a lot of mm-hmm. different places. Were mom and dad together? No. Okay. No. Um, they were. I don't have a. Um, I don't have like. I mean, I have a mem. I have memories of them together, but I don't have memories of them together in a way where they were like, oh, they're like we're a happy we're family. A or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're okay. like we're all a unit. Like I remember. Um, I remember when my dad, when my dad pulled me aside when I was like somewhere between nine, 10, probably I would guess. Mm -hmm. And was like, I need to tell you something. Your mom and I are getting divorced. And I literally was like, you're not divorced already. (laughs) I was so shocked that they were still together in any way. I mean, they didn't, they hadn't lived together in. Oh, really? In Not in like, not Not in, in your memory. I mean, I remember, I remember us living together, but I don't remember it in like a way where it was like, um, it just always seemed like there was a lot of chaos. I'll just say this. I think everybody was doing their best. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was just, I remember a lot of chaos. I'll, and I'll also take some responsibility on myself there because that's just my interpretation of it. If the, yeah. Like the reality might be, yeah, it was like uh, whatever, but... Um, but my interpretation of it was that it was that it was quite chaotic and there was a lot of moving around and a lot of like um, uncertainty. Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of uncertainty and a lot of like uh, feeling like maybe um, maybe the adults were like didn't know exactly what was going on. And this does relate to art because I did start writing like short stories for mm-hmm. myself by third or fourth grade for sure. And they were always about, first of all, I was obsessed with huskies, the dogs. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was obsessed with huskies. I have no idea why. And, uh, and the kids in the stories were always the orphans or abandoned children of like super rich people. Oh, okay. Who like didn't want to have kids. Like wish they didn't have kids, wish that they could get rid of their kids. So that's not that's not who my parents were, but mm-hmm. that was like my sort of fictionalized interpretation of it gotcha, as a yeah. as a child. Do you remember something that you read early on that made you kind of like be like, I want to I want to write a short story. I don't. I mean, I was like, I was and still am like a an like I I love reading. I mm-hmm. love. I, and I, I read a lot and I enjoy it a lot and a lot of my, um, but I don't remember a thing where I was like, I think that my, I think that my idea that I was going to write like predated the, yeah, I, the predated books. I started getting into like very, um, like pretty mature fiction mm-hmm. pretty early on. Yeah. Um, I read like, I read 1984, in when I was like in fourth grade, because oh, wow. yeah. I, I think I overheard somebody say it was important, and I like yoinked it off I a bookshelf. I read that now, and yeah. I read it, cool. and like some of my earliest, because it, it's such a, because it's a, uh, I feel like Orwell, like in that book, are written in in like prose that's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It's like very, it's it's incredibly good writing, but it's like it's pretty simple, so you can as a like Cormac uh, McCarthy. Uh, yeah. Like every once in a while, there's a $10 word in there. They're like, what the fuck is that word? But mostly it's like... Mostly it's very simple is, sentences, yeah. short, like not... And it's a pretty straightforward story. It's mm-hmm. like... Um, and so 
at, at whatever, 10, 10 years old or whatever, like I could totally follow everything that was going on, but it's also a very adult story. And I think yeah. that 1984 in that way was kind of the first book that like really just like flipped my head. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second, what? Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, but I think that I already was like, like I think I was uh, already like writing stuff for myself at least at that point. Okay, cool. Yeah. So storytelling has just kind of been a part of who you were. I think so. Yeah. All along. And I think it's like, I think also like, I'm just, I feel like I've never, um, I think I've never felt like I was like a real person. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's who Devin is at his core. I've always felt like kind of a made up Uh amalgamation of like stuff that I, like I'm sort of, I like I feel like I'm always performing some version of something. Oh, um, yeah. Always. And that for sure goes back. And I was aware of it, like, or I had a feeling of being aware of it. Like, I, I in this situation, I act like this. In this situation, I act like this. And I would, like, draw on, like, books that, and, like, different characters and references. And, like, it becomes this pastiche of stuff. And, um, and uh, you know, sometimes I lose the thread on it and I go into a situation and I'm like, I don't, what kind of character is this? You know, what kind of scene is this? I can't uh-huh. figure out what... Um, and I think all of that is like, I don't, I mean, I, you know, they could, I could like, I could like sort of um, try to like analyze it, 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 it and, and be like, well, it's coping mechanisms for like lifelong depression or like moving around a lot as a kid or all that stuff. But I don't know. I just don't know, like at the core, if you go like mm-hmm. when you say like, well, just be yourself. I'm literally like, I don't even know what that means. Like I, yeah. without a context, you have to give me a context. Am really? I taking care of something or am I scared of something? And because those are two very different be yourselves. There's no, there's not a neutral one. Well, that's a, um, yeah, it's a really weird. It's almost a very Western concept too of like, or that we're, we, you can't be anything until you like achieved or gained things mm. in some ways. But then also like, how do you be yourself? when you're a child and you know, and also I, I mean, I used to find, I still have this struggle where like, I don't, my, my identity was found through like all the things that I did, not like some sort of like chief understanding of like who I am mm-hmm. or, or, um, you know, so it, whether it was like in high school, it was like football or snowboarding in college and then, um, drinking whiskey and playing rock and roll. And then, being sober and playing rock and roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, like I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's really interesting. Is it, I definitely had similar experiences, but I thought that, um, like I saw the Truman show as a kid mm-hmm. that kind of fucked me up because of like some like weird shit that was going on in my family at the time when I saw it. And also, uh, and I was like, I've never, I've never watched it since because, it kind of fucked me up in like this, like everybody's fucking with me kind of way, mm. you know, like um, not that this show is about me, but it's just like people are like behind the scenes trying to fuck with me. Oh, wow. You know, and, and so that like that's kind of materialized in like weird ways, like romantic relationships of like paranoia and stuff like that. And it's like it's like, uh, yeah. So and is that like a thing that like still kind of on a gut level sort of still manifests in your no, it's it, it'll come through in like really 
lizard brainy type moments, or I guess I don't know if that's sort of that I just use that word because people do or that that phrase. But like um, a few years ago, when I was like really in it, like like just kind of really fucked up depression and mental health wise, um, and kind of self sabotaging like one of the few good things I had going, which was like this romantic interest. Um, it was like the paranoia would like take over, and I'd just be like, "You're like you and." someone are fucking with me like mm. some you know what i mean like like it's it was just like um and it doesn't really now like since i've gotten a much better gaining on or gain, i don't know much better grasp on my mental health and whatnot i think uh i think it's it doesn't really manifest at all but but it can still kind of i don't know it's it's really weird like <laughs> kind of like those like these vestigial kind of reactions that you're able to sort of like like your body kind of reacts mm -hmm. but then your brain is a little bit more i mean not like your brain and body are separate but, but you know what like, i mean you can quickly be like okay i recognize that and that's an overreaction or that kind of thing or, or i mean it depends on the moment yeah, I, yeah, guess. Yeah. I guess it's a uh, um sometimes it's it's definitely like a a body type reaction to certain situations mm -hmm. like um that then forces my brain to like over analyze everything yeah. to the point of like just making wild stories in my head about like just i don't know like about just all like just the most insane coincidences right. like trying to connect things that are like oh and that's why so and so's fucking rental car was red right or right, you know right. it's like some like david lynchian type shit that like I don't know. That's what I'm like not doing well mental health wise. And I'm sure it, if I had the money to like see someone long enough to analyze it, it could be like, I don't know. I think when I'm, when I'm really spiraling out, it kind of comes out in this form of like, um, hypervigilance and like paranoia. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 And that's why, yeah. So it's, so it's kind of off subject, but like, I don't know. No, I think it's I dude, I it, it sounds very on subject to me. Yeah. I mean just because like there's so much of this stuff to me at least is like it's it's all very much like folded up into a very similar like um how you how you move through the world is how you make your art. Yeah. Or maybe I should speak for myself cuz I think that there's lots of different ways. Some people are really good at just being like there's the art that I make, and then there's like the rest of my yeah, they stuff. Have parents that, they, that love them. They, <laughs> <laughs> they have like compartmentalized. Yeah. Like the you Abbott know, brothers. I was like, I, I love their music, but I can't listen to it because like, oh, this is what it sounds like when like two brothers had parents that loved them very much, <laughs> right. and and they're really talented and they're pretty and they, you know what I mean? It's just like this is too fucking perfect. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but like in fairness, that. I want to hear the people who are like a little bit more fucked up and the people like, and I'm, I'm not more, saying that they aren't, I don't know yeah. their story, but that's what it always sounded like totally. to me of like, God, this is like, right. This is if, uh, um, God damn. What's that, that, that show, oh man, this isn't, this isn't little house on the prairie. We're turned into like a, a hipster <laughs> folk band. Uh, you know, that's not a terrible... I think you could pitch that idea, honestly. I, well, you no, know, I think the Everett brothers have already made a lot of money off of it. You're like in the Netflix... You know, there's a Netflix studio in Bushwick. You just walk right in there and go, check it out. Oh, really? You go, I got it. <laughs> I've got it's, so many it's ideas. It's hipster little house on the prairie. Yeah. Actually, this is not a bad idea. In space. In space, but with music. 
but with music. It's Little House on the Prairie, in but they're, with music if the, it's but, me. They're, but they're and they're zombies from somewhere. But like, but that's I, just like a three I, episode, but ironic run. zombies. Yeah. Um, sorry that we just got very off subject. Where, where, oh, where were we? To, um, but, okay, so back to so you've always felt like you're kind of like playing a part. Essentially, you're you're oh, filling a role for absolute sure, and that does not that that is not just in like the big things of like um, I mean this might be like. I don't. I mean, I just. I don't even know if this is the forum to to like put it in. But like, yeah, absolutely. And that goes for like um, when I'm hanging out with my nieces and nephews. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what would a good what what would the kind of uncle that I want to be do? It's time with banjo. <laughs> like no joke. For ten years, I wanted a dog, and I was like, you can't get a dog. You're not gonna be a good dog dad, right? Because I had a dog as a kid that like. Um, I just wasn't as great of like, it was just like a, you know, suburb. Yeah. We didn't live in the suburbs, but like, you know what I mean? Like I just had, I remember when she died, I remember just being like, man, I really could have spent more time with that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt really guilty about it. Right. Even though like she lived a great life and never went hungry and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I spent 10 years being like, I want a dog and not getting it. Cause like, you can't be a good dog dad. And then now what does it mean to be a good dog dad? Right. We're at the dog park every morning at 8am. Right. And you're, you know what I mean? Right. And he, yeah, some days I don't get shit done because I'm just like trying to be a good dog dad. Right, and I do that. That goes for like that goes for um that goes for writing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times I'm just like it, it, like I can't get myself so like it, like I can't get myself through a part of a project. So I'm like well, I, I'm like well what would a writer do? Mm-hmm. Um and part and where it gets a little and I I I know that like you know people frequently and rightly will say like, you know, we're all doing performative stuff. And I agree. I agree. Maybe I haven't been in anybody else's head, so I can't really say what it's like in there. You know what I mean? But like, I mean, for me, it's like when I say like when, um, when my, sometimes I'm, sometimes I become almost not functional if there's not somebody watching. And if somebody is watching, then I can act like I'm something. So this is like, you know, people have all kinds of different reasons for writing in coffee shops or writing at the library or writing at the whatever. For me, it's like sometimes it's like it feels borderline like a survival tactic. You need the narrative. I need to be able to be like, I'm doing this and that stranger over there is aware that I'm doing it. Mm. And so I will now act like a playwright which means I need to have a play open on my screen and I need to be typing in some words in it because mm-hmm. that's what a playwright would be doing. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I don't know whether it's different in kind or different in degree, but it feels like I live in kind of an extreme world of that. And then when the thing is over, whether it's like dinner with friends where I'm like, I'm acting like I'm, Mm-hmm. Like what would a good friend do? It's over, and I will go through these like mini crashes, like day on a daily. Mm-hmm. Like when I leave here yeah. and go to the next thing, the bike ride will entail a lot of like, what purpose do I have? Like, what is the like? Why am I alive? Will, will that look like a vulnerability hangover, or will it be? Because like, I, I finish one of these things, and usually I feel really good, mm-hmm. but at some point. 
and this is why I struggle with the podcast because if someone's like, yeah, I don't, I got to push back 30 minutes, let's we'll just cancel, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, because at some point I will have a vulnerability hangover where I'll overshare something or mm-hmm. whatever, and then I'll be like thinking back on that. Is that what it looks like? Or no. is it more of like a, in exist, like an identity I, crisis? I would say, I think it's more like in the existential okay. realm of things. Like I might. I might kind of like I'll leave, you know, I might leave here and be like, was I talk was I inadvertently talking shit about my family in a way I didn't mean to in a public forum? But like honestly, that to me is not a big that might be a fuck up and I might be My mom be, thinks every episode on this podcast I'm talking shit about her. Right. She's <laughs> every listening. dad yeah. who's ever been in anything I've written, my dad thinks is him. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, my on, sister dude. hears a song she's like, who's that about? Is that about me and mom? And I'm like, <laughs> no. But also, yes. Yeah, but well, like literally, like whenever, like every romantic storyline in everything I've ever written has some element of like every person I've ever sort of had feelings for. Oh, I still, right? I'm working on a song right now that's about, a, it's a, it's about an evening that I had with someone, um, uh, 15 years ago. Love it. You know, and it's, but it was just like. You know, this unfortunately this person is no longer with us, and so that's part of what Oof. inspired it. But also, just like, man, that was a great moment, and that mm. was just like, like young, just like, just the type of evening that, like, uh, the type of night, like party or whatever, where like, like her and I's, um, it's just like, it's just like when, like, everything feels like a fucking Springsteen song or like, mm. a, like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, like, and not just in like the glory days type way, but in like, that's what long, like young live fast, die young type shit was yeah. that night. You know what I mean? And like yeah. every time I mean, she was, she's like, a, I, I love this person. I, I miss her dearly. And, um, we didn't really have a whole, like we, we knew each other all growing up and whatnot, but we only hung out one-on-one a handful of times yeah. and every single time felt very much like um that type of like live fast die young like like mm-hmm. just like um uh, you know just that that old hollywood james dean like yeah that that type of energy that you and i will always wish to go back to uh-huh. and like you'll always be jealous of fucking 19 year olds for having it and like not knowing it yeah you know what i mean um yeah Yeah, there is a kind of there is a kind of swagger that like it really is. It is like it's like what it's like in the cartoons when they run off the cliff and -hmm. they keep running until they realize that like they're fine until they realize that they're not on the ground anymore. Yeah, it is that kind of swagger that like and it's it obviously it happens with time, but it's not necessarily an age. It doesn't like happen at an age or with age, but it's just like as soon as you become aware that you've got that swagger, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm that. Then it's, then totally. you'll never quite be able to catch it. Yeah. I, Oh man, we're, we're kind of, I love this cause we're just kind of going all over the place. And like, <laughs> I don't, we don't need to do your Wikipedia page <laughs> bio, but I mean, I, I fucking, I love that. I mean, I guess that's one of the things about life that, like, one of the tragedies, but what, why it's beautiful is, because um, I feel like I'm at an age now where, I mean, this could be bullshit, but, like, if I really wanted to go up and talk to, like, an attractive woman that I just, like, I felt compelled to talk to or whatever, I'd just go up and talk to her. Mm-hmm. 
because it's like it's how I and like for and this has taken me a few years to getting to this point where like for a while after I quit drinking I couldn't go out like one for fear of running into certain people mm-hmm. but two for fear of like I just didn't know how to be out and and not drinking in New York City mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense to me it didn't mm-hmm. add up and I didn't get it so I just spent all my time in this room luckily it's a good room but like spent like two fucking years pretty much just in here um and not just because of covid but um and so but now when i go out it's just like well one i tell myself like i'll because i'll have that anxiety of like do you really want to go to the show are you going to actually go try and take pictures that you're going to have to like people are going to expect you to have pictures that you're going to send to them and and what if there's not any good ones but you know it's like and it's that anxiety spiral of like maybe you should just stay home and play guitar and video games Mm -hmm. because that's comfortable and fun and banjos here and like and you love banjo and and then like finally hitting that age of like because i've had those thoughts since i was like going to birthday parties at 12 you know right. that kind of anxiety and now being at that age like i'm a grown-ass man if i'm not having fun i can just walk out the fucking door mm-hmm. you know what i mean like oh if, if i run into those people that i'm so afraid of running into i can try and like look as cool as i possibly can or you mm-hmm. know what i mean and try don't make an ass of yourself and you won't because you're not drunk mm-hmm. and then just leave right you can like that's i mean i hate how much time i've spent alive and conscious but not conscious of like dude you do whatever the fuck you want like obviously don't hurt other people and don't but like why are you like what are you afraid of what are you afraid of right just go fucking do it right you know like i sorry i'm in a weird mood today because i I wrote this thing for these like this friend of mine she works at a school in oregon like an elementary school and uh they do like a career day thing. And she asked me to like fill out this Google form and they, they highlight a different career every week. And so it was, it was really like flattering to be sitting there like, Oh, like these fourth and fifth graders are going to like see me as like a, a musician. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, but also like I sat there and tried like, how can I write? Don't become a fucking cop without writing. Don't become a cop, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like these subversive type things that what I ended up, um, like kind of what I wanted to say was just like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. And if something's not serving you, you can walk away, you yeah. know? And it was essentially like, and I know that's not true for everyone because like that, I come, my life comes with a considerable amount of privilege. Mm-hmm. But like the other thing I said was like, start saving money now because it's like, if you take advantage of compound interest now at 10 years old, you know what I mean? Like the sooner nobody's going to be able to tell you what the fuck to do. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I just went off on a tangent. Sorry. This, no, this man, it's all, it's you, all good. Me. First of all, I would just say, I think we should normalize telling people not to become a cop. Yeah, I think we should <laughs> I don't think you should. That. I don't think you should. Oh, have I think to we should normalize any... walking by cops and being like, fuck the police, fuck the police, fuck yeah. the police under your breath. Yeah. They need to quit those I, jobs. I mean, yeah, that's, that's like the, I, I think uh, that's a whole... It's a whole other thing. <laughs> I mean, but like, literally, I think if it was just, it's like one of those things that like, I think being a, I think like being a, it should be like stigmatized. Like mm-hmm. if it, if it were more societally stigmatized, cause I think it's just not good work. I think there are some good people involved in it, but I think when, you know, it, it is just, it's not a, it's not a job that should be done. It's like, an inherently oppressive system. That's, yeah. That's that. Well, it's like power only exists to protect itself. Right. And like, I didn't know how to articulate that when I was 19, but that's mm-hmm. why I didn't join the military. Right. Was because, like, well, the only reason we need this military this fucking strong is because we have a military this fucking strong. Right. You know, like, that's where it's... Um, 
and like cops is like a, it's a different thing. I know the military is like a jobs program and I'm not trying to like shit on veterans because like it's, it's our society, like our, our, our societal view of like the military needs to change. Mm-hmm. Our societal view of police officers needs to change mm-hmm. and the function of them needs to change. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I know exactly what, what, not exactly what you're saying, but you know what I, like I, I, I've, I'm on the same boat, 100% yeah. same boat. Yeah, it, I think, uh, it, like, in the most humane way possible, I would like for us to rapidly move to a place where people are like, I don't want to do this job because I recognize that I, can, I might be a good person with good intentions, but the actual job that I'm doing is a bad job. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just, like take myself out of that yeah like remove remove what power i have from that system exactly like don't like stop being part like it stop being part of that thing Mm -hmm. like yeah it's totally well i uh i something you said or like oh man we're uh like we create or what you were saying about being a writer at at the coffee shop Mm -hmm. um and about how, like, like I, I truly believe we... And this is what I was kind of trying to say to those kids. Um, but I couldn't really articulate it in a way I thought they would understand. So I don't know if I did a good job of it. But essentially, it's like I, I truly believe that we create our own realities. Like, our thoughts mm. and our actions create the realities that we exist in. I'm not saying that, like, oh, my thoughts created, like, the the oppressive systems that, that the U.S. is built on. Or my thoughts created, like... I don't know how fucking television works. I don't know how the internet works. You know what I mean? But I'm saying my reality, what I do on my day-to-day basis, I've created. Mm-hmm. That tour I went on, I made that happen. You, whether you're playing the character of the, the playwright, you're writing a play because you're, you're creating that reality. Mm-hmm. And if it's like a performance-based reality and that's what works for you, fine. You know what I mean? You're still like, you still, did you write words that day on a page that are in the form of a play oh yeah you know what i mean so then like you've created that reality by in a weird way playing that part Mm -hmm. and for like my friends i had friends 10 years ago in utah when i was still going out on tours and like i wouldn't tell anybody to do the career that i've done because it's just been like really about like live fast die young like be on the road have fun go figure shit out like that's what i like doing mm-hmm. i love performing music and i love being on the road so that's just what i've done it's not the smart way to do it like yeah like i i mean most people would be like okay well play until you can draw 100 people in this town and then go do a draw 50 mile or 100 mile circle and then like play in all those towns until you can draw 100 people and then like spread out that way that's right. not how i've done it you know like i i got little pockets all over the country where I can drop five to 30 people. Right. And it works for me, but I wouldn't suggest it to anybody else. But I also had friends 10 years ago being like, I don't know how you afford to go on these tours. Like, how do you afford to do all this? Do you not have any debt? And I was like, well, other than student loan debt, no, like I've, I've like, I, I work so I can do this thing, you know, like, and I just, like, I don't know how to put it. Like, I was just like, well, you, you could do what I do. You just send a bunch of emails until you're like, oh, I got 10 shows booked. Let's mm-hmm. go on tour. You know what yeah. I mean? And and like now here I am 10 years later and I have this, you know, I just bought a van and I did my first tour with like a full band and it was it was like a great experience. And I created that reality over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, sorry, I'm, I'm once again tangenting. Um, but uh, that's kind of what I was trying to impart on those kids or trying to impart to other, you know, so many people like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. It was like, well, if you just played a lot of guitar. Right. Or, you know, I wish I had right. musical talent. It's like, well, I don't I don't have a lot of natural talent. Right. I just, it, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, that you bring up an interesting thing, which is like, what is the... What is the overlap or like what is the intersection between like you can do you can you can I'm sorry one can create one's own reality mm-hmm. and we all to varying degrees are just products of the systems that we live in totally and so I, I like I kind of like both things seem sort of true to me to varying degrees and like i i always like i i I wonder yeah i just i wonder big picture like i guess i could say like for myself probably it's like i have i have enough just privilege honestly like that like it is kind of true that like i i can kind of like dream up the reality that i'm in to Mm -hmm. a certain extent but i just wonder I wonder how translatable that is into other other people's circumstances. I no, that's that's a really good point, and I do think that inherently there's a lot of um, you know privilege that allowed me to do what I've done, but mm-hmm. also um, like those same friends that were asking me like, "How do you do this?" were like spending like putting a bunch of music gear on a credit card that right. they couldn't afford and. You know, just making poor decisions where it's like I played a little two hundred dollar Epiphone, like kind of a shitty acoustic guitar for like years, mm-hmm. like uh, to the point like I'd be playing shows and people wouldn't take me seriously because I played this like shitty two hundred dollar guitar, and then I upgraded to like a six hundred dollar guitar. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, and that's my workhorse now. And I, you know, like I've very slowly become a gear dude mm-hmm. or a gear person. Because I can't afford a $200 fucking guitar pedal. Like, right. I play acoustic guitar because that's cheap, you know? <laughs> and I drink shitty beer because that's cheap, you yeah. know? Um, and, yeah, still, I come with a fuckload of privilege. And I don't... I want to, like, say that first. But, but like, oh, I forget who it was. But it kind of blew my mind. I heard someone say the other day, there's this woman who wrote... I can't remember what the series is, but she had, like, five kids... Mm-hmm. And someone was, and she's like, tell that woman you don't have time to write. Right. You know, because what she, her thing was, and I wish I remember who it was, but like woke up at like 5 a.m. and wrote for an hour and a half yeah. every morning before the kids got up. Right. You know, and like, it's just like, um, I understand some people's situations are obviously much different, but like I, a problem I have with a lot of people that I try and talk to about like this career is like, as soon as I'm like, you could, you could do this. Mm-hmm. They've got ten excuses as to why not. It's like, right. oh well, that's why you couldn't do it, because uh, you don't do things. You just make excuses, right? And excuses don't get you fucking anywhere, right? You know what I mean? And it's like, and I'm not saying that like, where there's a will, there's a way. Like, you know, I I, I believe that in in some. I'm not. I don't know. Like, yeah. No. Totally. I mean, like, I I um, I feel like I feel like I what what you're saying. I feel comfortable like talking to myself 
that way. Do you know what I mean? Like if you I'm want it, you can. Yeah, exactly. Like street, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I you just, know. but I, I, I always wonder about like, I we, here's a, like, I just yeah. I, in a way, we kind of get back to this other thing, which is just like I don't know what it's. I just don't know what it's like inside other people's heads. Like Same. I don't, and just because one person can wake up at five in the morning and write all day and then, I mean, write all day, write all morning and then take five kids to school and, you know, do all this stuff. I think, I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else can do it. I'm not trying to talk counter to what you're saying. I'm just saying like, I think people need one thing that I will say as I, I, that I'm just trying, people need a lot of grace. I want to give people a ton of grace. I love that about you. And something you said earlier about your parents, just like everyone was doing their best. And like, I think that's, I I wanted to make a point of like, I noticed that. And that like, I I wish that I could give myself and everybody else that kind of grace from the get go. And that compassion of like, life's fucking hard. Right. It's really fucking hard. So sorry. No, no, I, it, it is. And so, so sometimes, so sometimes, uh, but this, this, this thing about like, um, uh, like, can you make a thing? Can you make your reality? Oh, and I want to remember you. You also made me think of like in the big societal things. Mm-hmm. This is one thing that I've really noticed. It's just like so many of the things that we say like we can't collectively do. I do believe that collectively, it's our imaginations that are failing. Mm-hmm. And you have to start with like, don't tell me all the reasons that we can't afford this you know, to, to help these people. Let's oh, imagine if we, if a world where the police. Yeah. The, or when you, or when you say like, well, you know, what's going to first things first, let's imagine a world without police, not in a like mean spirited re- retributional not way. Like just, a, let's murder all the cops. Ex- exactly. Not, not, I just not, mean like, let's just imagine a not world like without a, police tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's no more cops. Yes. It's so, not that. It's like, let's imagine. What would it look like? What would it look exactly? Yeah. Imagine a world without. I had this conversation so many times with my white friends during the the insurrection of twenty twenty, those that summer, and them being like, "Well, really, you're just gonna get rid of all cops?" And it's like, like, or they're like, "I don't think it's that easy." I'm like, "But it's that easy for you to just say fucking no, right?" Like, how do we make it to the moon? Like my brother was saying the other day, or like, what's the the first car, like gas powered engine, was made in like the 1880s. Right. And then we were on the moon in the 60s. <laughs> right. And that's just, that's just fucking strapping people to rockets and shooting them at the moon. Right. Essentially. Like, right. <laughs> and we did it. Right. And we got them back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is exactly. So, in the, on a large scale, yeah. I would like to just say that, like, so on a small scale, I really am. I, I tend to think like I want to give so much room for people just in whatever they're going through, societally or as a species. Mm-hmm. I am happy to go hard at us and be like, we are failing in our lack of imagination about what the world can could, be, could be because I have yeah. seen it just in my lifetime. And, and recent history, like you're saying, I have seen it over and over again. Somebody dreams up some idea, like literally in science fiction, right? Somebody just makes up a thing that doesn't exist. And 20 years, 20 years later, some programmer is like, I got it. IPhone. It's called an iPhone. 
It's called the internet. I when <clears throat> I remember when my buddy Eric Fisher got his first iPhone one. He was like, kind of. He's like, have you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he's like, dude, the Hitchhiker's Guide, the way he describes it, is essentially a fucking smartphone. Yeah. You know, and he came up with that. That book was written in the. 70s? 70s maybe yeah, yeah. some like 80s I don't, I don't know exactly but you know what i mean it's like well before the iphone was a thing and now we all have fucking smartphones right. in our pocket and our pro- yeah. pockets pockets i sometimes struggle to speak um yeah it's i mean that's that's the fucking truth of it but also when i i hate the conversation that i mean it's oh yeah sorry because <laughs> there's so many things i want to say but I mean, just the amount of money spent on the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Um, you're telling me we couldn't have found a cure for cancer there? Or, or you know what I mean? You're telling me we... Or, like, mitigated the damage from climate change. Or, yeah, not not made it worse because of all the I mean, industry yeah. that went into that. That's, yeah, the idea... But yeah, the... Something I wanted to say, sorry, we were talking about mm-hmm. the military earlier. And this is something I've been saying. I remember saying this to a recruiter when I was, like, in fucking high school, you know? And because I scored pretty high on my ASVAP test and they were trying pretty hard to get me to join, especially when they found out that my stepdad was a Marine. And finally, my stepdad was like, dude, you don't want Charles. Like, you don't, like, he would be really bad in the military. All he does is question authority and, like, ask why. Mm-hmm. He, he wouldn't be good here. Um, but I remember asking a recruiter, I'm like, you know what? It, with the strength and the might of the American military and the amount of money that goes behind it, if we were just to shift the goal of it by four degrees or, or like make it from being like this fucking mechanism of death and turn it into a mechanism of like mutual aid, Mm -hmm. like it's the fucking Bill Hicks thing. We could clothe and feed the people of the world several times over with the American military budget. It's not profitable. Right. You know, it's not profitable for the right people. Right. So yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm fucking with you on that. It's like we as a society of, this something I'm like working on a song, or I just, I just thought of a funny concept of like some, some asshole's grandpa came up with, the rules, <laughs> and now I gotta fucking pay too much for rent, or, or you know what I mean, or now I can't smoke weed in certain states, right? Like, and and I say some asshole's grandpa made up the rules because none of my friends' grandpas have had any fucking sort of power. Right. The type of people that I like or hang out with or that I get the opportunity to spend my time around, they and their families never had any sort of fucking power at all. Yeah. So, like, yeah, some asshole's grandpa made up these rules. Not my fucking grandpa. My grandpa went to jail for embezzling money from the Sholo <laughs> post office. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, like, it's it's... And that's where... The tough love is hard on an individual level because our society is just failing everyone. Mm-hmm. But as I can sit here and talk shit on society as a whole all day long because the structure that is our society is failing. Maybe not. Sorry, not everyone is failing. Most everyone. Right. Anyone who would need a safety net, there's not one there for. Right. Them. And everybody who doesn't need one is like so well taken care of. Not, yeah, they don't need a fucking safety net, but as soon but as but they've got, but they've got one. You well, know I've what I mean? started like, this just this year alone, investing money in the stock market, just because I, like I've never just had you know when we were on unemployment and there was like, there was just like extra money, so I'm like, well, I'm never gonna be able to retire. Like nobody's ever gonna be paying into like a 
a 401k for me. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have that type of job. I'm 34 years old. I've never had that job at this point. Like, it's not going to happen. Right. So I was like, okay, well, I got to start saving money for the stock market because my fear, and this is part of growing up, like, we didn't grow up like poor, poor, but like, if you grow up without like money, it's your relationship with money is, is just inherently bad. You know, like you get a, you get a tax return and you just spend it because like, if I don't spend this all right now, eventually it's just going to disappear to utilities. Mm -hmm. And so you buy fucking new rims for your car Mm -hmm. or you buy these things and like, and so there's no, there's no extended value and your money's never making you money. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like this scarcity mindset that you have. And I kind of was always worried about investing because like, well, what happens if the fucking stock market just disappears? Right. And then COVID happens and I watch them do everything within their fucking power and even make new rules to prop the stock market up. Yeah. And luckily we got propped up a little bit in that as the people, because part of that was keeping us all able to fucking spend money and giving us some, you know, but really it all came down to like, well, we can't let the fucking shareholders lose their money. And that was when I was like, okay, it's never fucking going anywhere. Yeah. The stock markets disappears. You're gonna have much bigger problems than what little money you've managed managed to invest being right. gone. You right. know, another tangent. But like, um, why 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 is it? I mean, why am I looking at a different GoFundMe like five days a week for people that just had bad luck happen to them and then the system failed them, and and now. And I'm happy to donate what I can when I can. Right. But eventually, it's like right now, I, I saw, I've seen three fundraisers in the past week that I'd love to throw money at, and I'm just not in a place that I can do it. Yeah. And they're, and all three of them were situations where if we had, when I was in high school, taken a moment to be like, what does single payer healthcare look like? Mm-hmm. What, you know, like, and taking, instead of just like, you'll never afford it, who's going to pay for it? Blah, 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 blah. If we'd have just taken that time fucking 20 years ago, mm-hmm go like GoFundMe stops existing you know sorry to the folks that GoFundMe but like we don't need you anymore because our our, because we our fucking society stepped up in GoFundMe's defense I will say that like last year the CEO of GoFundMe like tweeted out he was like um, GoFundMe is intended to be like a fun way to support each other's creative projects. It is not intended as a medical safety no. net. Oh no, and I, I'm which not I thought was sh- no, yeah. I know, I know I'm you're not, not but I'm just saying like we're to a point where the <laughs> the CEO of a company is saying like, hey, our system is not working. Yeah, totally. Because too many people are being are you. This is supposed to be for Charles's band to raise yeah. money so they can press on blue vinyl. Yeah. This is not. Because, like, kids with cancer can't get treatment. Yeah. You know right, what I mean? Like, so-and-so can't afford insulin because they because they got laid off from their job. Yeah. I mean, there's, like... Because some fucking bureaucrat decided they needed fucking... I, I mean, again, just, like, an utter total failure of imagination. But yeah. also, like, I mean, medic... Like, the... I can tie this back to art. Remind me that I do have a way to loop this back into okay. artistic life. Um, but like, you know, the um, like single payer, not only, not only is it morally and ethically the right thing to do, mm-hmm. it's also financially the right thing to do. Like the, the system that we have now lo- actually loses on every single count except for 
a total failure of imagination and a couple of people with a tremendous amount of concentrated power. Power and wealth. Doctors don't like it. Patients don't like it. Companies don't like it, right? They spent like, most companies would rather be like, I'd rather just have the government take care of this. This is a huge amount of our like human resources and payment structure and everything. So literally nobody who's not an insurance company yeah, or, or maybe a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company, but I'm not yeah. even, I mean, I'll, I'll say, but like almost nobody likes it. And yet somehow it just sticks around a, like just total failure to be total failure to be like, what else is possible? This is how we've always done things. <coughs> Bless Excuse me. I just ruined the podcast with that sneeze. Here, I'm coughing. Over We're going to have to scrap the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but you can loop it back, <laughs> back to art. Loop it back to art. Well, I just wanted to say that, like, I feel like there is not in a, like, not in the sort of loose, ethereal, like, we are the stories that we tell. Mm-hmm. Though I do think that that's true. But I think that, like, storytellers and artists literally shape what the story, what they shape the narrative mm-hmm. that we tell ourselves personally. And the stories that we tell ourselves personally, they create sort of the boundaries or the parameters within mm-hmm. which we can like process new information. Totally. So I think that like when I see a sh- TV show or something mm-hmm. and I feel like, um, uh, you know, they have like. Um, what's a good example that's not like super egregious? Let's say like they've got like a bad, they, they've got like kind of what I feel like are like outdated uh, gender roles for men and women. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to get, you know, they're trying to tell like a loose, funny kind of like trying to keep it light, trying to be, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to do friends. We're trying to do yeah. how I met your mother, whatever. Totally. I get it. And I'm not trying to be like a total fucking, you know, downer on everything but i watch those things and i go like not only is that like not a great look mm-hmm. 10 or 12 or 15 years later but also like that shit really had that resonates right like i was watching stuff when i was just trying like i was at an age where i was just trying to figure out like what do, what do people do you know mm-hmm. like when you're kind of like in your puberty and early adolescence. And you're like, how do people act? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Oh shit. I brought back. How, how do people act? Yeah. I'm really bringing it on yeah, home. No, maybe. Awesome. Um, and you go like, well, maybe I'm supposed to act like that person who seems very popular on that show and like treats people this way and that way. And when they do this, it's good. And when they do that, it's bad. And all of a sudden my imagination about what's possible starts to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And, shrink. Mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's just like a loose kind of metaphysical. I think that that literally has real world implications. I think that like portraying black and brown people in like negative light on TV and in movies, that's not just like, oh, that's bad and not inclusive. While it is, I mean, it is certainly it's that. Certainly it's that, certainly yeah. that. It also literally shapes the imaginations of people who carry guns and wear uniforms. Mm-hmm. They think of the, right? This is, and- What's well, the propaganda campaign of the American military in Hollywood? The most successful campaign in fucking all of right? Like, how many stories do we have to hear about that, um, th- like, these horrible, atrocious- Crimes of like crimes against humanity that our government has mm-hmm. committed, but still we're like go USA go, number yeah, one you, yeah because like Saving Private Ryan was like made me cry right 
you know, like, and I'm not saying, sorry, that's not me talking shit on World War II veterans. I really think World War II is the last time there was like that that people right. actually died for really good reasons in our military. But but honestly, but like, and I, I yes, I agree, and I I think that we've been kind of like chasing the dragon as a nation. Like look at like there was that one time where we got we just happened to be in the right place at the right time and on the same side and, of Russia. And P.S. I mean, it's true. That's part of why I think that's part of why Russia like resents us so hard is because yeah, they just Russians like died in that war. An enormous number of millions. Million. I kid. Yeah, it's like, like thirty it's or forty. Like fucking right, insane. Yeah, insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, it's in the narrative that we're fucking number one. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, it's. But don't uh, those things all, they all no, feel like they well, tie they into storytelling. My, they all feel like they tie into storytelling. My brother Khalid is Apache. He grew up on the Apache reservation. He's like, um, he, we like didn't even like fully ad- adopt him, but he's like a part of the family. He's been a part of the family since for over 10 years now. And like, he'll talk about like representation. Like that was my first understanding of it is mm-hmm. like, like yeah, like natives don't ever have, like don't have great representation, yeah. and a lot of that will lead to like, like our same with trans people. Like it'll lead to like depression, um, mm-hmm. young like teen suicides, like because they don't see like a narrative for them to exist in the world as like a full human being, totally. right? With all the good and, and bad, and like they're things. either like sort of like these rarefied like magical things, or they're like you know, this evil, like, outsider. They don't get totally. to just be, like, a full... Fully-fledged and a fully-developed right. character. Um, and, you know, and obviously it's, like, let's just for a minute acknowledge it's just, we're two, like, straight white dudes talking about these things, and we, you know, like, if there's people who are way more able to give you an authoritative look at yeah not being represented, obviously. I'm going to put some gentle air quotes around straight, referring to myself. Okay. But, like... But yeah, sorry. But, um, but, 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 yes, point... Yeah, the, like, back to the privilege sure. and everything like that. Yes. I just want to, you know, make For, sure, like, ab- like we yes, don't look absolutely like the, acknowledged. the two... Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, I guess that's where it, like, what I'll ask you, um, you know, and there's a number of things I want to ask, but uh, r- right now is... Um, what, like, what of the past several years, like, since Trump got elected is probably mm. a great example. Like, how has that affected the way you write and the way you develop characters? Um, has it changed at all? Have you, um, you know, because I know my approach to songwriting is, like, completely fucking different than it was. Like, it's still Man. kind of the same way that I write songs, but, right. like, the subject matter and, like, the depth at which I try and get my characters to is, is, is a different level. Yeah. That's a, that's a solid question. And it is, it is something that I will say this, and this is something I have explicitly thought to myself and brought up in conversation before. When I see, when I see particularly dramatic comedic, like, you know, TV film, uh, stage stuff, Mm. Also true in like novels and short stories, somewhat true in music, but like specifically in those character driven kind of like we're watching people doing behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I think that there's something really um, there's something really important about the, the ones where you're like, I'm watching 
people doing behavior. Mm -hmm. Because I literally, that is how we learn. Like as babies, we mm -hmm. watch people do behavior. Somebody said this, said it really beautifully. They said, your kids don't listen to what you say. They model what you do. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's like at the heart of theater and film is we model what we see up there. Yeah. We model those behaviors. So, so when I see, when I watch things that seem to be um, diving in, sorry, I'm just kind of like picking my, I want to just like, this is so important to me. Mm -hmm. When I see things that are maybe exploring how dark or um, uh, avaricious, like how greedy or malicious or self-centered or uh, cruel human nature can be. Mm -hmm. um, there are, like there are playwrights, Neil LeBute and like, uh, um, well, no, I'm not going to throw him in. There, there, are, there are, I'm not saying anything bad about their playwriting, but there are people who... Um, really made their sort of like their bread and butter was like, I'm going to show you just how terrible people can be to one another. Mm -hmm. And I think I like, I think so to in the last some number of years, I don't know if it's like Trump or like maybe the last like 10 years or something, but somewhere in there, I have stopped being interested in exploring how terrible people can be to each oh, other. Okay, yeah. Because I feel like I got it. Yeah. And I'm more interested in how can people, I guess this goes to the like, what are, what are we, um, what are we imagining? What yeah. world, what kind? So I'm more interested in like, not in a like, let me show you paradise. Let me show you utopia. But I mean, like, let's dig down into the shit, like the, the scary, nasty, dire circumstances. That's mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for. Like, let's get into the muck. But let's let's find the things where like we can sh we can model what's possible. Totally. Like I feel like if you're just gonna show me like a room full of dudes double crossing each other and stealing stuff and like objectifying people and um, everybody looking out for themselves, a I don't think that that's an accurate model of human behavior, and mm -hmm. I think that it leads us to believe that it is. Yeah. Right? Cause just because we see it so many times. Totally. So we believe that, like, that's what people, people, that's human nature. I'm using air quotes again, right? Because it's like human nature is fucking whatever. Yeah. There's totally. no, you know what I mean? Like, people can be like this on this side of the spectrum, and they can be all the way over here on this yeah. other side of the spectrum. It's like, how are they treated? What kind of like incentives do they have? What kind of risk rewards? What kind of society are they in? Totally. They adapt to that. They will be whatever you, they will be what, they, they will be somewhere on the spectrum of what their conditions say. And so I would say that I am much more explicitly interested as I create things, not implicitly, but like explicitly trying to be like, what is possible? And I don't mean like world building necessarily, but like how might somebody sit through this whole thing and at a moment where it goes like, well, the guy and the girl, they must either like get together or decide that they hate each other. Like in, even in those simple junctures, yeah. can we look at like, what is possible? What can we model for each other? I remember like I, I watched the movie, uh, 
When Harry Met Sally. Okay. As a, you know, I was young. I was yeah. on a fucking VHS tape or something. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And um, like this central kernel of the movie, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I will happily drag this movie because I actually think it's a great, it's a perfectly fine movie mm-hmm. and like whatever. Uh, and I haven't seen it in a long time. But this central kernel of thing that is like men and women can't be friends. Uh-huh. There's always, the sex always gets in the way. Yeah. Okay, so and I just bring that up because it's pretty innocuous. It serves a dramatic purpose and a comedic purpose in the movie. It mm-hmm. works really well. It like helps the plot along. It leads to some good laughs. But I would submit that that's actually like not I won't say irresponsible, but I'll just say it's counterproductive, counterproductive. Right. And you put that idea into impressionable people's heads. Maybe they're 14, maybe they're 25, maybe they're 50. And they get this idea. Oh, that's right. Men and women can't be friends because the sex always gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying, like, not maybe not the biggest deal in the world, but like what a slightly shittier way of approaching the world than what I would say is possible, which is. People can be all kinds of things. And yeah. you know what I mean? And Totally. So, well, yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, no. Yeah. No, I mean, <clears throat> I think that's the, like, that's why some of our more iconic stories transcend those cliches in a way. And, like, I don't know why I'm on a Humphrey Bogart kick right now. Uh, uh, but, but, like, you think of the end of Casablanca. Like, yeah. that's not... Like, like every story tells you that that's not how that's going to end. So good. And it's not like, a, and it's not even like a, oh, here's an M. Night Shyamalan twist ending. It's just right. like, a, yeah, she flies off with her husband and he's mm. like, well, I think this is going to be the start of a beautiful friendship, you know? Yeah. And I was also thinking of, I don't know if you've ever seen The Treasures of the Sierra Madre, also I have. Humphrey Bogart. Film. I have. I have I a little Humphrey Bogart. Like, I love Humphrey Bogart. Also because he's like a short guy and I'm always like short movie stars. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he's... Oh man, that guy's fucking great. But I think um, he's just an amazing actor. But I always root for the short guy. Yeah, no, I, I'm with that. I get that a lot. I uh, that that film. I remember at the end of it. You know, spoiler alert. It was made in like the fucking fifties. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at really the end of it, you know, it's because there's that. They're like all worried about losing the gold and whatnot, or having it stolen. I can't remember exactly how it goes. But there's that windstorm, and all the gold dust just gets dissipated into the into the fucking wind and they, yeah. they open up the saddlebags and it's empty and they just, and like in that moment, Humphrey Bogart's character laughs about right. it. And I'm like, I think that's like the fact that he laughs about it is why that film's iconic, mm-hmm. you know, like, or one of, because it's like, Oh, it doesn't turn into this. Like you did this and blah, blah. And then they kill each other over mm-hmm. the gold. It's just like, it's the last thing I expected to happen. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is about this gold, mm-hmm. and then it's gone, and he's just like, "Well, fuck it." Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. Human beings, human nature is all of it, the whole spectrum. Oh, can you, know? you can can I say a Casablanca yeah. thing? Please, yeah. Because I love Casa. I think that that movie is really. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah, one of the best. Well, so, I don't. I don't have a favorite movie. I don't believe in favorite movies or albums yeah. and stuff like that. I believe in perfect things, mm-hmm. like Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Like, there's been records that are as good as that record, but like, there's nothing. It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> right. Casablanca is that to me, right? Um, and talking about modeling behavior, there's the one of my favorite moments is when it's Victor Laszlo mm-hmm. is is the guy who is like 
uh, you know, that it's it's Ingrid Bergman's husband, husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who she thought was dead. And then she comes back and Humphrey Bogart and the whole thing. When Victor Laszlo figures out like that, Bo, that Bogart and Elsa had had the Have affair or, yeah, together, yeah. like so much of what would be modeled for us in movies would be. Oh, the husband finds out. Now we need the big. We got to have fight. it out. Yeah. We need to have the drama. We need the the fight. And what does he do? He goes, Elsa. When you were, what did he? When when I was sick. No, when you thought I was. He's like, when you thought I was gone, and you were in blah blah blah. When you were in Paris, he goes, you must have been so lonely. And that's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And like, just think of like how that looking at your. Your lover is a as a human being, and yeah. Not your and lover. instead of like, like, like your, it's such yeah. a beautiful and like if that moment say say that moment sticks with a person, mm-hmm. right? And they it resonates with them, and they they don't even know it, but they're kind of carrying it around in their head. And then a thing happens in their life, and they just have an idea that like here's someone modeling an idea of like a behavior yeah. where when you're hurt and you find out difficult information about someone you love. One way to react is to flip the fuck out and be like, I demand justice and information. Another way is to go, you must have been so lonely. Yeah, what were you going through? Yeah, what was happening with you? I understand. Well, that's not, we're not taught to do that at all. We are not, but we could, we could so easily teach that. No, that that I'm 100% (laughs) on board with you. I I remember, um, I I don't remember where I read this, but it was like kind of a, a similar thing. That's why I love that you brought that up because- I love that scene and that <sighs> reaction. And there's like a, I want to say it was like a, a Buddhist teacher or something. I'm sorry. I don't know. But I remember the story is like, say you find out that your your wife is cheating on you with your best friend. Like, what do you, how are you going to react to that? Right. You know, and they're like, their response is like, well, hopefully I'm going to be, be calm and level headed because at that point I'm going to want answers. And the only way you're going to get it is being calm and level headed. You know, you're not going to get it by being combative. Right. You know, like, and, and uh, for me as someone who like grew up in, in America where it's like you punch a man on the nose for whatever. And, (laughs) you know, like, and that's, that's how you be a man is you Uh fucking fight. And that's Mm. how I learned how to be a man to, to read that. And it's like, the only time I've ever been cheated on, all I wanted was answers and I didn't get them because I made a fucking scene. Right. You know? Right. And it's like, yeah, you're not going to get answers doing that. Right. Like, um, and th- that's just, uh, man, that's the, we're taught that the, the world's supposed to end in those moments, but life keeps going. Right. Life, life keeps going. And that, and that's kind of like, uh, I think a lot of people struggle because, um, or at least like, uh, oh man, I'm trying to think of the, it, it works at both ends of the spectrum too. Like at your lowest, like when I hit like what I'd call my rock bottom and decided not to kill myself, mm-hmm. it's like, well now life keeps going. Like now what? Right. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, and that's, that can be any number of things that can be really inspiring and exciting. And it can also be fucking terrifying and mm-hmm. daunting. Um, but then also when I was 17 and we won the state football championship and it was all I'd ever dreamt of and all I'd Damn, ever bro. wanted in my life. That. And uh, yeah, it's all I'd ever <laughs> wanted in my deal. life. And like an hour later, just being like, what's, 
well, yeah. what's next? Right. Because you're 17. It's like, well, you still got fucking hopefully 50 plus years on this planet. Right. And the only thing you've ever wanted your whole life is this thing. And you got it. And it's like, and one, it didn't solve all of your problems. It didn't tell you how, like, you didn't, like, yeah, it's an amazing, cool thing to have achieved. And it was a really cool thing to be a part of. But also, like, that was a really kind of, like, eye-opening day for me as, as a young person. Just being like, oh, this doesn't, you know, I've played shows to 500-plus people. Not, not most of my shows or to, like, five-plus people. But, like, I've played those shows, and they're fucking great. And they, you know, I've had those amazing experiences. But life keeps going on the next day. Yeah. Like, what do you do after that? That's, uh, like, a, yeah, life exists in shades of gray and in the in-betweens, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's where social media doesn't help us at all. If we're going to full circle that comment, Yeah, yeah. You know, is, is it tries to make everything, like I said, the high relate real or everything's black and white. And there's there's really I feel like of... I feel like one thing that social media has really helped me with is it has allowed me to see how like how different people react to injustice mm-hmm. it's given me like a really nice not nice but like a really um visceral like a very like a gut level <clears throat> a, a way to watch how people are affected by injustice and i do <coughs> true like from a compassion standpoint <coughs> Like, and from a me trying to get more compassionate. Yeah. Like, endeavoring to be more compassionate. It has broadened the scope, for me, of things that I am like, that looks like it would hurt someone. That yeah. looks like it would hurt someone. I don't know that that's how everybody... I think that it also makes... Some people, I think, get a lot meaner Yeah. on social media. I, mean, I, I I've, but, definitely had those moments. <laughs> but I think that... Um, for whatever reason, I am grateful sometimes for that, that it has just like allowed me to be like, uh, just maybe a little bit more aware yeah, of like how just like deeply some of this stuff can, can cut into people. So, no, and I'm, I, yeah. I also really love the, um, what's happened since, I want to say since COVID, is the movement towards normalizing like like being positive or like encouraging it's not like we don't have to be this it's not this uh like cool felt like such a finite resource mm-hmm. for so long and it still kind of is then it eludes me in so many ways but i'm like fine with it now because i don't fucking care that much but like caring used to not be cool mm. i think it i think mm. it goes in and out right but now it's okay to be like one. I mean, just like the amount of posts I see that are like, like Simone Biles being like my mental health that I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not compete. Right. And that like a lot of people on social media. Yeah. There's the loud voices. And unfortunately the ones that are the loudest are usually the shittiest, mm-hmm. but like the, a lot of people are like, yeah, good for you. Right. Like fuck that. Right. Like, you, you know, cause it's like, honestly, people, some people are going to put America's honor or these gold medal numbers or whatever above one person's mental health because of like some dumb idea of national pride or whatever. But like, really it's like, no, your mental health is number one. Like, and it should always be number one. Right. Um, so I was kind of like off, 
like not really what I was trying to where I was trying to go with it exactly, but um Oh, I wanted to come back to uh what's your this this is like kinda out of nowhere, not really, but uh your what's like say say you're starting a new play mm-hmm. or a screenplay mm-hmm. or a new project. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How do you how do you let's wait for this uh siren to go by? We're really in the studio here in New York City. You can tell by all the noise, and it's not a studio. It's my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a real-time SWAT team arriving because they've heard us being like, fuck 12 over and over again. They're like, we're going to shut this thing down. Yeah, we're going to have to turn down this commie (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Um, No, but so, like, do you... Does does an idea for... Like, this new show that you you have going on right now. Let's use that as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, did you write this one? Yes. Where did this idea come from? It was, um, this one was a long meandering path. Uh, and I do not have a process. Like I don't have, like when I say I don't have a process, I mean, I don't have like, I'm not an outline person. Mm-hmm. I'm not a structure person. You start writing and see I where the ju- road takes I, it, But it can be all over the place. Sometimes I will catch a title. Mm-hmm. Right. Some title will pop into my head. I have this other show called By the Time Kurt Cobain Was Your Age, He yeah. Was Dead. Uh-huh. That was literally a title popping around in my head. I think pre I think it predated me being as old as Kurt Cobain was when he, when he died. died. Oh, really? Like, I think that I just had the idea in my head at some point. And I worked on that one for probably close to two years with a, with a collaborator, um, Lily Jane Lachlan, who goes by Admiral Gray, who she was, she worked and multiple times. She said to me, I think that this might just be a really great title with no play attached to it. Um, those are real. I have so many titles for, yeah, but like, but, but then it wound up being a play that I deeply love and I hope that I'll be performing it till the day I die. Mm hmm. If I died doing that show, like if I died on stage doing that show at some whenever the right time is, I would be like super okay. No, just kidding. We can. Sorry. I'll work with you on this. I just that joke popped like in my it. head. I was like, I gotta. Well, I mean, gotta I could jump shoot in. you while you're on stage. <laughs> I am not opposed to that idea. Well, when we're both, um, well, when you hit a, the ripe age of like 105, <laughs> we'll book that show. Okay. And I'll bring my 30 out six. Love we'll it. make a mess of it. I, I'm here. 30 out six would make a mess of it, I imagine. <laughs> Sorry. The podcast takes a turn. Takes a turn. You're like, we, we've Chuck definitely been sitting here for two hours. Um, what was I going to say? So this one, this one, um, I, I got to give a ton of credit to Chris Domig, who uh, directed the show and whose theater company he has with his wife, Janelle. Um, they are big supporters of my work and they commissioned a piece and it started off literally... It was going to be a pre-recorded, like a podcast, basically, or like a a radio play Mm -hmm. of me cooking a meal and inviting other people as they were listening to the podcast to, like, cook their favorite meal. And then, like, we would eat and I would, like, play some music and stuff like that. And by the end of it, it was the, the computerized voice from Final Draft reading a made up version of the Noah's Ark great flood story from the Bible that I rewrote to be really like cheeky and kind of like sarcastic and self-aware uh-huh. and me 
maybe being on a boat, but also definitely just clearly being in my room, in my <laughs> apartment. Yeah. Uh, and that journey was a long one. And I wrote a ton of stuff that just got thrown away. Mm-hmm. And we were nowhere in agreement until one day I brought in the Noah's Ark thing. And Chris was like, oh, that's the play. So this one was like, but other ones, I literally like, sometimes I just see the whole, I almost just see the whole thing. And I go like, it starts with this and then blah, 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 blah. And it ends like this. And sometimes I'm like, I know the ending, but I don't know what happens in the beginning. Or I know the big, I know the, I know the part where she says this, but mm-hmm. I don't know anything else that happens. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I only, I have one person in my life who I still do, like, I will like co-write with um jake hart who's a friend from undergrad and i i love his writing and he he's a much more structure mm-hmm. he likes to be like let's beat out the structure and then we start writing the stuff and that's a very like i think that's a more professional way to do it but mm-hmm. it just doesn't work for me because as soon as i'll be like great we got the structure love it we tie it all down and the second i start writing dialogue i'm like i don't know man yeah, i feel like it's going over i think i think it's i think it's going over this way <laughs> <Yeah>. now <laughs> Yeah, I know I can I can get that. That's Yeah, that's the trouble the trouble I had when writing more long form things. Like sometimes a song just needs to be what the song is and it's kind of just tell and if you're trying to take it somewhere it doesn't mm-hmm. want to go, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And so and it's like a it's really like a sudoku puzzle in that way with it's like there might be a few different ways to do it, but really like that song like when it comes to you, it knows what it wants to be. It, yeah. it just you just gotta like I said you're like mining nostalgia to like uncover this gem. Yeah. Um, when when uh, so as far as uh, we've been going for a minute, so I kind of for a while, so I'm gonna kind of try and wrap wrap it up a little Let's bit. Do but it. As far as your um, one like when you are at the coffee shop writing, playing the part of the writer, um. Like walk me through that. Like like what do you, what do you do when you hit a wall? What do you do? Like how how do you show up as your best self? Like like what what's been something that works for you as far as sitting down and getting words on the page? I mean, it's never that. I I mean I write every day mm-hmm. for sure. Um, most of it is like you know not most of it is for like after I'm dead for the you know, the archivists to, yeah. to sort of piece over and be like, what was all this crap? Yeah. But I mean, I write every day and I, you know, I, I, I generate a lot of, of stuff. So that's, that's rarely the hurdle. The hurdle is in, um, like staying focused on a, an actual, like, we need to get through to the end of this screenplay mm-hmm. like we need to, we need it to be about 110 pages and we just need to get done and we cannot keep like meandering around on these other things or like changing tax or um like that so i mean what works for me i don't when i say i have no process i mean i really have no process i grab from like 40 different tools uh-huh depending on what I need in what I might need. So sometimes I'll use like, sometimes I'll use like accountability groups. 
to be like, let's all get together and write t- together. Uh-huh. Sometimes I am exactly the opposite. I'm just like, I'm going to disappear for a week. I'm not going to talk to anybody and I'm just going to write. And that literally serves the same purpose mm-hmm. of like, it feels I'm like, now you are doing a thing, even if you're just performing for yourself or, you know, disappearing from social media so that when you come back, you have to have a play done. Yes. Like I'm always just, but like, because I don't believe that there's any pure way to create, mm-hmm. I don't care. You know what I, Like if your thing is like, I buy an eight ball and I just like get railed out of my head and write for two days straight. I'm like, is the writing good? You know, yeah, I mean, that's like, are you testing the drugs that make sure it doesn't have fentanyl yeah, in yeah, it? Yeah. Did um, you, yes. Did you check? But, did you do your fentanyl strip and is your writing good or is it, do you like it? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, not even is it good? Just like, does it, do you feel like you created? Um, yeah, because so, that's something that started. No, no. But like, you don't have to die to be an artist. That's all That's all I want to say is like, you don't have to fucking hate everything you make and you don't have to like be, or you know what I mean? You don't have mm-hmm. to be killing yourself to just be an artist. Like, just fucking, like, you have to make things. That, yep. that, that line gets blurred with a lot of people and it did right. with me for a long time. And it's like, it's not about suffering. It's about living a really fun, joyous life doing mm-hmm. what you love. Right. Sorry. No, no, yeah. not at all. But that really dovetails like <laughs> nicely with like the thing that I was about to say, which is just like, I don't think that, I think that in writing and in acting, ah, in music too, there, there's, people are so concerned about like the right way to do it, like mm-hmm. the correct way to do it. Um, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that everybody's a genius or like everybody's going to make great stuff. Like maybe, yeah, maybe no. I don't, I honestly don't care. Are you making the stuff that, that fulfills you on some level is suffering what you want? Great. Get that, like Mm -hmm. do that. You know what I mean? If you want to, but I like, if somebody wants to torture themselves over one single poem for five years like somebody might be like, yo, just get the shit out there, mm-hmm. get your shitty first draft and blah, blah, like, you know, Annie Lamott has all kinds of advice for you on how to like, blah. but I'm like, do you, what do you want? Totally. Do you want to, to toil in a dark room for 10 years on one single haiku? I have no opinion about that whatsoever. If it makes, if it feels not even if it makes you happy, cause I don't care about that, but like, is that what you feel called to do? No, totally. Yeah. And no, I love that because when I say like, you don't have to kill yourself to be an artist or it doesn't have to be about suffering. I'm saying, cause like for a long time, I thought that that was what you, I was supposed to do. Right. I was playing that part. Right. Right. You know? And like, and then what's unfortunate or fortunate, which I mean, I don't regret any of it. Um, what's beautiful now is, um, not feeling like like my life has to be just such a dark, dreary mm. drab all the time, just so I can make good art. Yeah. Like I make the best. I've made the best stuff I think I've ever made since I quit being a dr- sad drunk all the time. Nice. You know, and that's me. That's you know. I'm not saying that for everyone, but like like if you think that there's some version of an artist in your head and you're going after that look and feel more than you are just like trying to create the art. Like mm. you're on the wrong path. That's all I'm saying. Or you right. could be reassessed. Maybe I'm not telling you right. what to do, but I was on the wrong path. Right, 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 right. You That's know? a good way to look at it because I, I, <laughs> I think I've even gotten to a point where I'm like, if your whole shtick is just like this performative 
suffering punk rocker who is like, I'm just like, to me, I'm, my feeling is like, is that what you feel called to do? Because if so, I'm all about it. I might well, not be there to support you. Yeah. Like physically, like I might not want to engage with that, mm -hmm. but I have like, but I have no opinion about that. If you like happy stuff and Maria Kondo is your, you know what I mean? If yeah. you want to declutter and minimize, not for me, but if that's what you feels right to you. I guess I 100% agree with that. And like I said, I don't regret any of mm -hmm. my time. I just know, I remember my boss, Joe, who's a fantastic painter. I actually want to have him on the podcast, but he, he also restores and paints like old houses. And I just started working for him in Salt Lake years ago. And uh, when I put out my first record, Charles Ellsworth and the Dirty 30, which hits 10 years in March, which is crazy. So almost Ooh. 10 years ago. I'm playing this for, I gave him a copy of it, you know, one day and then like we're at work a few days later and he's like, you know, your record's really good, but do you have to sound so morose? <laughs> like you just sound so sad. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I just don't know how else to sing. You know, yeah. I think it was like a, but like I look back on that and I'm like, oh, that's really funny because like I, I look back and I'm like, yeah, I just sounded just like a right. Mr. Sad Bastard. And there's definitely like a place for that. And I don't, and I it's just funny because, like yeah. me now, being like, "Oh man, you, you could have had a lot more fun. You could, you didn't have to be so sad all the time." But I, you know what? And I know we got to wrap up, but I, I would like to. I want. I just want to stand up for. I want to stand up for old sad person who, like, I didn't even know, and just say, like, I really do believe that, like, like when I look back at my old, the things that I go, like, you didn't have to. I think about the ways that I was super judgmental about stuff. Mm. about how people made things about how what kind of art was good and what was bad and I'm not like that anymore and I look back on like college Devin and that level of like sort of superiority and uh -huh. pretense and judgmentalness and I partly look at it and go like bro like you did not have to be like that but then I'm also like but you did and you yeah. know why I know you did is because that's what you did yeah and now you're here and yeah. you would not be here without that yeah totally yeah, I no, think I, I agree. I, so just fighting for I'm fighting for our I'm just I'm standing up for the lesser versions of ourselves, mm -hmm. too, because we couldn't because we that was we needed to pass through that. Well, and I was also doing the very best I could. And yeah, what, you know, like and I was I was like trying to be Towns Van Zandt and Connor Oberst and Tim Kasher and all, you know, like I was uh, and but that's kind of the beautiful thing is you spend all this time as an artist trying to be these things that you love and trying to emulate mm -hmm. them in some ways. Um, but you'd be so offended if someone like called you out on copying them, but you right. like it if someone's like, Oh, it reminds me of them. Uh -huh. You know, it's like that weird thing. It's kind of just young ego in a yeah. lot of ways, but then you get older and then you just are you. And I think that's just part of getting older, you know, is like one day just being like, Oh, this is just who I am. And the people that are still sticking around and who can just jump back into my life to be full circle from mm -hmm. earlier, who can just jump back into my life and uh, like after not seeing each other for a year or six months, like that's because they gel with who I actually am and who I've become, not because we both like really dig Connor Oberst, <laughs> you know, like which like we can both. But dig. we but we might we can both dig bright eyes, but we could also not and still like none of my roommates in this house i think like bright eyes on the level oh. i do they might give me shit about it but <laughs> i will not we all give still you, get i will never get hate along. on bright eyes <laughs> i appreciate that 
Um, uh, last man. but not least, we should definitely wrap up. Yeah. Um, I and I know we've kind of already touched on this, but if you have um, just a little bit of advice you'd give to anyone who's just like struggling creatively, or or like you know worried about they're coming close on that five year in LA mark and they're right. thinking about quitting, but they know they don't want to quit, but they think they have to. Right. Or like you know what what would your advice be for someone kind of in in the thick of like not thinking they're going to be able to do what they're doing um, or what they want to do. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think my own, my only advice is, um, is that I just remind, I would just remind everyone and I remind myself of this as well, that um, there are, <laughs> There are exits on every floor. And so if you know you if you want to leave, leave. And if you find yourself not leaving, ask yourself why you're staying. And if it's a question of judging yourself or something like that, um that's fine. But like check in with like Check in with if you're standing in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go, if you're going to be inside, stay inside. And if you're going to go outside, go. Like you are, I'm not sure which one is creativity and which one is not creativity in that mm-hmm. metaphor. But like, you're free to come and go. You're also free to come and go. Yeah. I think the only, the one that is not a good use of mm, maybe our time on earth is standing in the door going like, I don't know where I want to be. Yeah. I think that all of us should spend more time. Oh, okay. Cause I didn't, I had no idea where I was going with it. No, <laughs> I think all of us should spend more time feeling like we are free to go in and out and in and out less time standing in the doorway and less time being either inside or outside feeling like I'm staying here because I'm obligated. Because oh, I made yeah. a choice to be here, so now I have to be here. You yeah. almost never have to anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're beating yourself up about why you're not writing, ask yourself why are you why are you beating yourself up about it? Yeah. Maybe you're just not writing right now. Yeah, let it go. Totally. And see what happens if you just go like, maybe I'm not writing right now. Maybe you're not a writer. Maybe you're not a musician. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if you find yourself not doing it, maybe you're just not that thing right now. Yeah. No, that's, and be free. You are free. No, that's that's I I, I really like that. I think it's uh, um, yeah, it's great advice. It's really it's the yeah um you're uh, yeah I'm trying to think of something to say that's not something I've said a million times on this podcast. Can I tell Can I tell one anecdote? And I know, and then I promise, and then we'll definitely wrap up if you yeah, want to get me out of here. I remember this so well. I was sitting in. I was sitting in on Columbia MFA program where Anne Bogart, who is an incredible uh, directing professor, she's an incredible director as well, but I was like an outsider sitting in on Columbia MFAs and there was this big like sort of circle talk where people were, all the MFAs were just sort of talking. I was not involved in it. I was just like sort of observing and uh, people were sort of sharing about some stuff in this one, this one actor, she was, um, going through a real time. She was sharing about it. And she was like, I'm just, I feel like I can't do it. I'm feeling like quitting. I feel like everything I'm doing is just, um, 
so wrong and blah, 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 right? And it was, I, I say blah, 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 I just mean et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It was very heartfelt. She was like, what should I do? I think I'm going to quit. And as I remember it, Anne Bogart said, and this is, I, it sounds harsh. It's the kindest thing I've ever heard. She said, the theater will never miss you. Yeah. And all I heard from that was that like all of this drama about should I stay, should I go, should I do it, should I not do it? It's all just on you. So do it, don't do it. But like, you're not doing it for, I like how I talk about how performing I am, performing I am. Nobody will ever notice. Do it, don't do it, doesn't matter. It only matters to you. So that's what I would really check in with. Theater will never miss you. No, I mean, if you're staking. The symphony will never miss you. you So many times that I've, I've had to really, really have to decide. It's like, going doing these long these tours and doing these things and like you know not seeing i mean i'm really happy with where it's going but like you have those moments of like um is this the right thing am i doing this what am i doing this and like every single time i come back to this is what i love to do and what i want to be doing Mm. and if it wasn't i wouldn't be doing it word you know and i think if i come if i came back to some sort of superficial version of that i mean honestly I kind of want to be able to just leave New York City and just disappear into the, some woods in the West. Yeah. But like that compulsion to create and to be here in the thick of it keeps me here. Yeah. And I'm here, you know. There you go. And the and the fact that you're not like the fact that the compulsion is internal. Mm-hmm. You're not compelled by something outside. That's what I think is beautiful about it. Yeah. Cuz you are free to go. Totally. Well, and yet like, here you sit. It's not my millions of fans that would be heartbroken if I right. never played before or played again because right because there's definitely people that would be bummed, but also like every single person that like at least that I can imagine. I mean, I know most of my fans personally, and they would all be like, "I'm just glad you're happy, dude." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I think you know some people would be like, "I'd love to hear another Chuck record," but like, mm-hmm. dude, I just want you to be happy, right? Which is like, oh. Well, that's that much more reason that I want to do it because this is what makes me happy. Right. So, you know. Right. Right. Um, I love it. Devin, where can people find out more about you on the internet? Um, you can check out my website, devinburnham.com, D-E-V-I-N-B-U-R-N-A-M.com, uh, or my production company, abandonedgasstation.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the socials as either my name or Instagram at Dervin McSchlernum. Dervin McSchlernum. Schlernum. yeah. Dervin McSchlernum. I think if you type in Dervin, it ought to come up yeah, pretty yeah. pretty early on. We got Charles Smellsworth and Dervin McSchlernum. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Uh, thanks, thanks so much, much for coming for on the podcast. Me on. This was so great. I'm so glad to catch great, up with you. Great time hanging out with you. Yeah, this is awesome. And the, you know, the for people that are still listening to all the way to the end thank you for sticking around thank you very much thank you all um safe travels until next time and everyone listening have uh, yourself a, a beautiful day or evening whatever it is okay thanks let's see how do we i'm not good at end exits boom